0: Welcome to Window Gazing, the podcast where two TikTokers try to stay on the same subject for a, an hour plus. Um, today, I wanted to talk to you about relationships. Okay. And, um, One of the reasons I would love to talk to you about relationships is because it seems to be an area of your life that um you're not very interested in. Uh, which tells me that like there's not a lot of turmoil there for you there's not a lot to solve there for you and um I just want to like a window into someone who doesn't have difficulty there or is just not very oriented towards relationships because all the people in my life are like relationships are like this enigma that we can't figure out and like they never feel right or good Um,
1: so yeah, it's really interesting because I'm on TikTok and I, I follow a lot, you know, I have a lot of mutual creators and like, whenever they talk about relationships, it's always so well articulated and well thought out, but I, I find it in like, I don't know, it's kind of completely alienating. And I'm like, maybe I should talk more about relationships, but to be honest, I don't even know how to get in. Like, I don't even know how to, because I think you're right. It's like, it's like what's that uh, like Chuang That old Chinese philosopher said, you know, once you, once you tie your shoes, you kind of forget that they exist, kind of thing. It's like, and and I know, and that's not at all to say like my relationship with my wife is like peaches and cream. It totally we have issues. There's like, I think part of it is like a mixture of the fact that it is not something that I think about on my own, um, and maybe that's actually a fault, not not a not a bonus. Um so that's one thing and the other thing is like sometimes I I worry that if I go too far into that on TikTok then I'm like showing too much of my dirty laundry on there you know and, and that's not like to hint that there's like trouble in paradise or anything but it's just like you know I'm very sensitive about um because I know my wife will end up she watches all my TikToks um she doesn't Which do is so sweet by the way yeah, yeah. She, she does it in batches though, right? So she'll yes. she'll not watch for like a month and then she'll like binge watch all of them. And then I'll have to talk with her for like two days over things can she you, agrees or disagrees with.
0: So can you imagine liking someone so much that you spend all your time, like you live in a house with them, you have kids with them, and then they've made extra content that you also get to consume and like consuming <laughs> that content and then engaging in them in a conversation with them for two days about what they've created like that is love like yeah. that i love that
1: <laughs> well sometimes she gets upset because she's like you're so interesting on tiktok and and we don't you're you not know, interesting in to, our
0: regular lives what's yeah, going
1: on <laughs> you don't want to talk about that stuff so and that is like a factor um and it's like that's always been like a, a thing in our relationship is that i you know the novelty of my relationships outside of my family means that i tend to be a little more you know I'm willing to discuss this or that whereas like when you have a life partner a lot of I would say like 75 to 90 percent of what you talk about is like logistics like it's what your conversations and you can have you can joke about them and have fun with them and like get it and but that's like a lot of talk and relationships is just like what how do we organize our lives properly so that's a sad fact but yeah
0: Yeah, that's essentially how I see you as someone who has already tied their shoes. Um, And (laughs) a lot of the relationship discourse on TikTok is like, how do we tie our shoes? And I think that's why you have a hard time getting into that conversation, because you're like, "Um, I mean, I tied my shoes early on and like, I'm not an expert at shoe tying. And like, I don't have much (laughs) to say about the process because like, I didn't really investigate it very much. And, um, you know, we're digging into the theory, all kinds of theories, and it just makes sense that you wouldn't be very oriented towards that stuff, because it's something that was not a big issue for you. Um, And I think the questions within marriage and commitment are very different than the questions we're asking about, like, how do we make a relationship work in the early days? Um, The questions are much more about, like, how do we have lasting commitment to each other while still having our own healthy autonomy? How do we grow as people and support each other's growth? Um, Those kind of things. And so I want to start from the standpoint of like insecure relationships and talk about that and like how you see those things, um, how I see them. And then I'm going to ask you more about like your stable relationship and reflect it against my relationships that have been pretty... um, inconsistent and unstable. I made a list of things that like, I see in myself and I see in people who are struggling with relationships, like getting a relationship together and having it feel stable enough to go towards marriage or long-term commitment, which ultimately, some, it's not pe- some people's goal, which is fine. Um, right. So the things that I see, lack of trust that's lack of trust in self and lack in, lack of trust in other people. Difficulty with intimacy. So can't get close to people. Mm-hmm. Um, trying to get emotionally unavailable people or unresponsive people to be responsive or available or to be nice to you. Um, limerence. So um, like creating a fantasy world or creating love where there is no love happening. Um, right. Not being able to tell when people are being nice or being mean. So just fundamentally not being able to tell who is being nice to you. Um, enmeshment, So not knowing where my emotions begin and yours end. Um, not knowing what my needs are versus what your needs are. And chronically prioritizing other people over prioritizing self. Um, mm-hmm. Taking too much responsibility or not enough. So you'll either see someone who's like people are just shit and everybody that I that I meet and get into a relationship with is just a bitch or whatever, right? There's that side of it or everybody's toxic. Um, there's the other side of it that's like, I'm so broken. Um, I don't understand why everybody always leaves me. Um, what is so wrong with me that nobody ever treats me right? Um And then insecurity of all kinds. Um, Unable to not have somebody text you right away and then just feeling insecurity right away if they're not right there with you. Um, Insecurity about yourself. So um, not having enough self-esteem to put yourself out there and like approach somebody, for example. Um, Just insecurity in all ways. Um, And then the loss of self, not knowing what I want, not knowing how I feel not knowing who I like, not knowing what's going on with me. Um, All of these things that I just described are orbiting around trauma. So they are the loss of authenticity um, and all its forms. um, And then the loss of sort of like unconditional love or being loved properly. And um, this is why we don't know what we feel Because we had to give up what we felt in order to be um, loved and taken care of, Um, thinking that we had to earn love, being confused about who's actually being loving and who's not being loving, because the people who were supposed to love us didn't actually give love, and they said that they were. Um, So all of these issues are literally just look back and, and you'll find trauma. If you're having relationship difficulties, if you're not able to find a stable attachment, one of these things is in play. Um, yeah. This was super confusing to me because what I was told is you had a really stable childhood, a really happy childhood. and um, you know, you had two parents who were married, and like, um you had everything that you needed, and like life was really safe. And what I felt was, like, I have no trust in myself. I don't believe people are going to take care of me. I have all, every single thing that I listed, I have experienced in my yeah. relationships. And, like, those two things didn't match. Um, and so, like, there are so many different directions that we could go with this. But kind of what I want to start with is like where this begins is how was I loved by the people who were supposed to take care of me and how were like relationships modeled for me? Right. So right. I want to ask you, like, how did you connect with your parents or like, what was your connection with your parents?
1: Oh man. Uh, well. You can say very
0: generally, it's okay. You don't have to get deep. No,
1: no I, I think it's worth mentioning. I mean, so interestingly enough, my parents Got divorced when I was fourteen, um, but they're kind of strange in that they maintained a, a friendship uh, after their divorce. Uh, that's like on and off. My mom's really annoyed by my dad, but um, but there was a lot of like um, at the time it wasn't so amicable. It was not an amicable amicable divorce at the time. So so that was pretty traumatic. And there's a bunch of other issues that I don't want to go into, but but basically. Um, uh, it, my family was loving, but they were aloof. And I would say that I was brought up in a family that I would describe as like guided by the principle of what I've called uh, benign neglect. And I've talked about this. A in Gen a, X. Yeah, exactly. It's very Gen X. Right. And so I'm like very textbook, even though I'm technically on the cusp, I'm an exennial. My upbringing was very Gen X because, you know, I was I was doing my own laundry by the time I was 14. I was making my own dinners by the time I was 15. Um, I was out of the house on my own pretty much every weekend, starting around 14, 15, making my own decisions. Um, and you know, I was a latchkey kid, even going back way earlier than that. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so so there is some, I have some adult issues that have come out of that, but strangely enough, I've never, Thought about them in the context of my relationships except for the fact that there are some things in a relationship that um I actively avoid and maybe it's not always for the best in the healthiest way but like one thing is i I'm I really actively avoid like I don't have shouting fights <laughs> with my partner because I get really really triggered by those and I can't so if I'm in a situation and this comes up sometimes as a point of tension in my relationship If I get in, if we're in a situation where there's like, I'm really upset and there's an argument, I have to leave. Like, I can't engage. I have to like, just get out of that situation. And that sometimes, you know, doesn't work with my partner because she's like, we got to, you know, we got to sort this out. Yeah. We got to resolve this before we go to sleep or it's going to be a problem. Whereas for me, it's like, I can sleep it off and it's no biggie. And then I'll just come back the next day and probably apologize. You know what I mean? Well, the way... The ways
0: that you two manage your anxiety are opposite and in the same way kind of complementary. So the way that you manage your anxiety is by getting out of the situation and finding peace. And the way that she manages her anxiety is by resolving the situation. And that works really nice together in a lot of ways, but there are ways that it can butt heads against itself.
1: Yeah. And there's other things too. Like I have you know, she's like way more organized than I am. And there's like very typical, you know, gender stereotype or gender roles that like definitely, you know, our relationship can sometimes fall victim. So she obviously carries a much larger mental load with regard to the kids and things like that. And that's obviously an issue. And that's something I'm trying to work on very slowly. But, you know, I I should be doing a better job at like, you know, like I have this post that I've pinned to the top of my profile. where I, I love admit, that like, post. Yeah, and yeah. I know exactly
0: what you're going to say. And it's yeah. what made me want to do a podcast with you. So please intro yeah. this post.
1: Well, just the post of like, uh, because, you know, the post that I, the, the post that made me blow up on TikTok was where I was like, uh, don't worry, everything's fine. People worry too much about themselves, more or less. And then it was like, yeah, man. And I was like, hey, hey. <laughs> yeah, man. I, I, but I just, I didn't want to come off as like it started to cringe me out because I was like, this is not to say that I'm like a good person or like, I don't have, I don't have problems. Um, so I had to go on there and be like, here's, here's a list of things that I are a big issue with me in my life. And so I, and most of them are obviously relationship-based. So obviously the biggest one is like, I don't have my driver's license. And that's a huge, that's a huge point of tension in our relationship, particularly now because we moved to Nova Scotia. And this is like a part of the world where you absolutely need to drive. And if you don't, it makes life difficult. So Um, And that's just like the tip, there's like other things too. So um, there are many things where um, she absolutely has too much of the mental load. There's areas that since we've moved, I've regressed on a lot where I used to be like more proactive about, you know, things like groceries and things like uh, cleaning the house on the regular. I still do those things, but it's like the volume of which I do them is less because of the nature of where the grocery stores are located. And it's, it's all, this is all boring relationship shit, but it's like, it's kind of what matters, especially after you've been married to someone I, for that long. Anyway,
0: I want to bring it back to like, how did you fundamentally connect to your parents? And what you said is, I was kind of ignored and it was sort of the status quo. Do yeah. you have more nuance with that? Like, are you like, well, I feel like my dad kind of ignored me or like, did you have a parent that you felt more connected to?
1: Uh, um, I guess my dad, my mom watches this. So I'm sorry, mom. I mean, oh. uh, just because my, well, my, I was, my dad was sort of into my life or in my life longer and, and he, um, he shares my, uh, he also suffered from the same... So my dad and I have a lot more in common in terms of our personalities. Like he he also has anxiety. He's also very conflict averse. Um, whereas my mom was like a big, you know, uh, she's a big temperamental personality. So she, she, I didn't always feel super close to my mom that way. I felt a lot of... It was difficult for me to be in a situation of genuine warmth. And there's other reasons that involved that in I don't want to get into but but yeah it's just a, just that was a much trickier relationship and still to this day there's there's a lot of trickiness there and it's not like I'm really cl- cozy close with my dad but my dad was just generally more approachable and we had a lot of the same you know he was really influential on me when I was a kid in terms of like what I wanted to study and what I was interested in and uh, fully supporting my like curiosity and things like that but um I don't you know, this is weird to get into on this, but it, it's like I when people talk about like their relationship with their parents, like my dad was this huge person in my life, or my mom was this like center of my life. I don't know what that's like. I don't know what it's like to have to 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 see my parents that way. Like, I'm going to be deeply upset when they die, obviously, um, and I love them dearly. They're but I just don't. You know, in the same, in the, the way that, I, and again, I, I learned so much watching on TikTok and what people sort of focus on in their relationships with their parents. And I see things that are like, that is totally alien to me. Like having like a a close, intimate, like texting relationship. But I see this like when people's parents get sick or they die and they, they do these like, um, slideshows of all the texts that they had with their parents and their dad was checking in and then 24 7 asking do you have this are you okay mm-hmm. I, like let's go see this movie and I was like that that is like that is a completely alien experience to me like I I talked to my dad on the phone maybe once every three weeks and I talked to my mom on the phone maybe once every two months and it's a very cordial nice conversation but it's mostly to check in that my dad's okay because he's getting old and it's you know for my mom it's just to like basically touch base and see how you're doing so all that is to say my parents have never loomed large and I I wish I could draw this really articulate through line between that relationship and the current relationship I have with my partner but it's really difficult for me to articulate in in specific terms what that's meant you know what I mean? because I feel like in some ways, my relationship with my partner is like, well, I'm, I'm going back, it feels like sometimes I think about it, it's like, I'm, I'm, this is all new to me. This is like mm-hmm. a new, this is like a new way of seeing what a mom can be. And when I think mm-hmm. of myself as a father, it's like, imagining this is like a new way to, to parent as a dad. And I, I feel like, um, and also learning about my partner's relationship with her parents and how that's completely different and totally different to the way that I was brought up um so I realize I'm kind of rambling a bit but all of this is to say it's like I don't I've never thought of like relationships (laughs) dynamics with my wife and thought this is how my relationship with my parents has affected me you know what I mean that's I guess the short short of the long there
0: um I see a dynamic there I'm not interested in interrogating it because (laughs) Um, I don't think like, this is not a podcast about like, let's pick your life and relationships apart as contra tenor. Um, I see it as more like, how can we compare and contrast? And what I heard is like, I was closer to my father than I was to my mother. And, um, for like a multitude of reasons and overall it was absentee parenting, um, and so I think you are on a new landscape because just for the very fact that you are not parenting through the phone or through latchkey kids, you know, you're actually taking an active interest. That's also a big um, reflection that I have. Like when I look back on the parenting that I got, it was mostly that I didn't have enough structure. It was mostly that my mom was too much of a friend and not enough of a protector so I didn't really feel safe and this is from very very beginning like I'm in a crib I'm I can't even speak yet I don't feel safe Um, and it was partly because I was born to a mother who was 20 years old or something she was like 22 she was unprepared for the world she had no money she had no partner and I was like oh my god I'm a baby in a crib and I already have to be an adult um, and protect us And so my mom and I have this relationship of like being best friends really as I'm growing up and we're learning the world together. And I had a very, very close relationship with my mom, Um, love her very much, feel very close to her and really feel like she gets me. Um, And so that's a basis for a lot of like positivity in my like friendships, my female friendships. Um, Mm. Dad was not there at all. And my mom remarried when I was very young. Um, She's been with the same man since I was six months old. And so like what the parenting advice said at the time is like, oh, you just have to have a man there. And as long as he doesn't hit the child or like sexually abuse them, then like they'll grow up with a father. It's going to be great. Um, And like the way that I grew up is like, I don't have a dad. My dad abandoned me and went and had another family. And um, like, even though like my dad was 21. I mean, a child. And um, my dad like made efforts in the like later years of like really trying to give me love, but didn't know how to do it, didn't feel an emotional connection to me. So like, it's very strange to spend time with my dad because like, if he kisses me on the lips, it feels like some man is kissing me on the lips, right? It doesn't Mm -hmm. feel like a father relationship. Um, So it's like a really strange, strained interaction. And I believe that's sort of the basis for most of my insecurity in my sort of like male relationships is that like, I just had the experience of like, oh, people just aren't there for me. And um, when you're a child, you will always internalize that as something wrong with you, because the alternative is to believe that your caregiver is unsafe, which is a really, it's not a very good survival tactic to believe that your caregiver is incompetent so you would rather believe that there's something wrong with you that they've they've given up on you Uh um so um my overall experience is like i have a really strong relationship with my mom but i never feel safe so i had to grow up really quickly um i think you also had to grow up really quickly and when i watch like there's that movie parenthood from 1988 um with Steve Martin and a lot of that like movie. yeah I watched it recently and I was like oh my god this is the problem with Gen X this is boomers raising Gen X and like what they thought they were having problems with and what they were the damage that they were really doing like there's a kid in it who clearly has autism and they're like no Jimmy we're not gonna take you to the the like special school we're gonna make you go to regular school you're okay like <laughs> yep.
1: <laughs> it's yeah. just like this buckner i'm in love with your daughter that's i love yes. that keanu reeves character yeah
0: um and at the like i've been watching a lot of movies from the 80s for whatever reason and for some reason there is this um obsession with adultifying children like they loved to give children cigarettes and like make them say adult lines and like do adult things and like have, you know, have the six-year-old character call her mom Susan or whatever, and like, let's go, Susan. You know, like it's very um, you know, objectifying children as adults.
1: And well, think about it. one of the biggest movies of the 1980s was Big, which is literally a child in an adult body who has like sex with an adult. Like it's crazy. That's the, the crazy. I gotta to that watch movie. that. I yeah. gotta watch that.
0: And like that is the cultural background and context in which you were born into i was born at at 91 so i was technically out of the out of the um 80s but um you know and so like my mom also had the same view of things as like okay as long as we don't hit our kids as long as we're like kind of there for them like they'll grow up great and a lot of generational trauma got passed on Um, So interesting. My mom is afraid of angry people in a similar way that you're afraid of angry people. And I didn't get afraid of angry people, but I got no ability to be angry, no ability to deal with anger. So like that trauma was given to me by my grandfather, who I barely knew. Right. Because my mom had patterns that she had to grow up with. And then she couldn't teach me normal emotions around anger. Um, And so like for anybody who's experiencing trauma and they're like, where the heck did this come from? Like, it could have come from people you don't even know. It's crazy how this stuff is passed on. Um, So there is this like attachment piece that we just talked about that can cause all kinds of problems. And then there is like, what was modeled for me? Um, Mm. So what was modeled for me is number one, um, people will leave you. Right. My dad left my mom pregnant um, and went and had another family. Um, and like ultimately he didn't even want to have me. He was like, you should definitely get an abortion. My mom was like, no. So that that was a problem to start with. I'm like, mom, you probably like probably not a good idea to have a baby with somebody who doesn't want to have one. Um, but now I'm here and like I'm learning a lot and I'm teaching other people. Anyway, um, but there's also like um my mom married someone who like wasn't doing their fair share, And she was always frustrated and stifled. And I saw that she had to throw herself away to make the relationship work. And so what I saw is like, oh, okay, people who stay together a long time are completely unhappy. And that's the only way that I understand, like long-term marriage. And that's where I sit today is like, I kind of believe that anybody who commits to another person, is inherently unhappy because clearly they're gonna want different stuff. Clearly they're going to um, change into somebody else. And how do you like continue to choose the same person over time and like still want them and not come to this place where you're like, okay, well, I've kind of gotten everything that I wanted out of this relationship. Like I, and there's there's like a fundamental difference in the way that I think I orient towards relationships which is like to look for personal development And to look for curiosity and newness and, like, big energy. And I don't think that long-term commitment is really about that. Like, I think it's more about commitment and stuff. Do you have, like, a sense of any of that? I know I've, like, totally taken over the microphone.
1: (laughs) No, 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 no. I mean, you just got me thinking because um, I think one of the – I mean, just to backtrack a bit. I think one of the things that – because I was thinking, well, why – because you're thinking so intensely about your family dynamic in rela- in, in terms of like your adult relationships. And I, I'm wondering, like, because if I think about the landscape of my friends, my contemporaries, we're all sort of in our early forties. And most of my friends are married, they have kids. Um, and these marriages are still going and they're pretty, pretty good, healthy relationships, which is really strange because most of us are the products of failed <laughs> failed marriages. Right. So interesting. And so I had this theory uh, and I may or may not have just come up with this theory in the last two minutes while you were talking, but I (laughs) I wonder, I wonder if in our case, so one of the great things that I had that made basically, I think saved my childhood in some ways, or at least saved my mental health growing up is that I think what a lot of us had is we had these really um, thriving friends friend networks. Right. And I think, so one of the things about being latchkey kids and being sort of the products of benign neglect is that we were able to spend a lot of time with our friends. Like there was no question on the weekend, if I wanted to visit my friends and hang out with them on Friday night and sleep over and then come back on Sunday afternoon, which absolutely did happen on the regular, that would be fine. If I wanted to go to my friend's house after school and stay there and eat over their place and come back at, eight o'clock, as long as my homework was done, there was no question. Right. And so I think as part of that, a lot of us had these really, really healthy friend networks. And so in some ways, our mutual friendships became kind of like surrogate families. Um, And I really do feel like that. I felt like, like my friends sort of became my like immediate family after, you know, especially during my parents' divorce. And that was a really difficult time. And, I, you know, I talk about my, the differences between my brother and I, my brother was really intensely felt you know, a lot of trauma from from my parents' relationship, whereas I didn't, and that's because I had, I had an escape, right? I had friends that I could go visit and he didn't have that as much. And so I think part of what that did is like, when I think about my, you know, if I think about our relationships as adults, I think they're much more modeled on the kinds of friendships, the trusting, you know, friendships that we had as sort of adolescents and teenagers, That's sort of what I think of in terms of the model of my relationship with my partner, you know what I mean? And that's like the cliche of like, I married my best friend, which is like the cheesy thing that you say at your wedding. But actually, I think in in our case, that actually means something different than the cliche. It actually means, you know, I married someone who I have a defining relationship that is different and juxtaposed to my parental relationship almost deliberately Mm -hmm. as opposed to modeled on that relationship, you know what I mean? And when I think about my relationship with my wife, she's so completely different. And our relationship is so completely different. And again, like I said, I'm forging new ground here. So I think the only corollary I can think to that is like the friendships that I made with my friends out of the house when I was a kid. You know what I mean? Does this make any sense? Um,
0: Yes, absolutely. And And therapists say like in order to have healthy relationships, like we needed at least one good attachment figure right? We needed at least one. And what you're saying is like, yeah, I had a lot of like good network around me that didn't necessarily include my parents at times.
1: Yeah. Like, you know, and I I think I hate to say like, wow, back in my day, but like, I think there was just a lot, it was, there was nothing else to do. We had no phones. We couldn't connect over uh, like online the same way that happens now. And so a lot of this stuff, you have to force to be physically out and about with people and i think the kinds of relationships that you develop in those situations for me there's a there were first of all there was a lot of them there was at school there was my my two best friends were people that i knew from my parents church and then i was obviously in choirs and i had you know and i had um relationships with adults in that situation, that were also kind of healthy and good in some way. Like I was sort of shepherded. I had these incredibly good mentors. Mm. Like weirdly, I none of my teachers I respect. Like when people talk about this teacher meant the most to me. I didn't have any of those, but I had choir directors who I still mm. consider who shaped my life and who I am as an adult person today. And so is this like. And maybe that's partly why I'm all in this. Like it takes a village to raise a child kick on, on TikTok is because that was kind of my experience. My parents kind of just tapped out and they had their own issues to deal with. And there was no way that I was going to limit my universe of relationships to my house, even mm-hmm. from an early age. And I'm talking as early as like 11 or 12. One of the um, things even that I, then.
0: there was a lot of problems with the eighties, but one thing that I see as a good thing um, is that children had some autonomy and children have almost no autonomy anymore. And we will get to see what that turns into. I'm sure there's something unbalanced about that. Um, They say, the kids today, they have no social skills. Um, So we'll see what that looks like. Um, All of this stuff I see as just valuing human social skills a lot of that just has to do with, um, your selfhood, like having a strong sense of self, who you are, what you want, what your needs are. And a lot of that, um, like abandonment of those things makes d- relationships more difficult. And so, um, yeah, I'm not exactly sure what the difference is between you and me. Um, cause yeah. I had a lot of, those positive friendship dynamics. And, um, oh my gosh, my sixth grade and seventh grade band teacher, my, um, eighth, seventh and eighth grade, um, dance team coach, um, in high school, I had a, um, math professor that I think like I've modeled a lot of like my relationship dynamics off of like the positive things that I like about people. I'm like, yeah, I saw that in him and I want to date that. Um, and yeah, I had all of those things, really positive relationships. And yet when I get into a romantic relationship, like they don't last, there's all this insecurity. And so, um, who knows what the, the difference is there. It could just be that you are willing to let someone in your life who who was nice to you and I fundamentally don't even know how to identify those people or when they come to me I'm like turned off by them because they become too close to me
1: yeah I mean when I think about like how we got together to me it was like first of all it was like an insanely different time in my life and it was pretty early on like I was you know I met my yeah, wife when I, was, I was quite young like I was I mean quite young like relatively young like I was So I I think I first met her when I was 20 or 21 and we started going out when I was 23. So we've literally, we've almost been together for 20 years. It'll be 20 years next year. So,
0: and you guys had kids around like 30,
1: 30. Yeah. Yeah. So we got married when we were 28 and yeah. And then we had our first kid when I was 30. So, um, so, but I mean, I still remember the dynamics of like, why I wanted to be with this person and I like again like you know even in when I was like at that age no one was talking about trauma like none of us were even in therapy yet we didn't even have people were like trauma
0: traumas for Vietnam war veterans like exactly yeah
1: yeah so that that even that having that conversation was was not something but I also feel like I didn't even go through like I didn't even have enough relationship experience to even contemplate how my family dynamic could bear, you know, could bear uh, an influence on my relationship, you know, at that point. So, but I do remember this like really, it, it's weird. This, like entirely different mode of understanding relationships, but I do remember this like crystal clear feeling of like feeling that um, there was a sense that I could be myself with my partner. You know what I mean? In a way that I, very rarely am able to be myself around even people that I'm I consider close to dear friends of mine. You know what I mean? And to me like, um and so and I I you know, not to be maudlin, but there is a sense that like the level of intimacy that I had with my partner when I was 23 when we start started going out is still kind of the same feeling that I have today. You know what I mean? Even though I've been with her for 19 years and we've gone through all sorts of shit together there was that sort of core of like this person, um, I don't know, uh, this person is like, um, is someone that I can wholly open myself up to that, that, that sense was very much what I felt, you know, even 19 years ago. So, so I wish I could point to say like this, like this, my relationship with my parents meant that, that I felt (laughs) a closer connection with her, but I just, again, that it's like, it's like, it's like trying to, you know translate Swahili into Egyptian I can't do it you know what I mean it's like yeah it's just it, it didn't it didn't make any sense to me but there's like there's dynamics in our relationship where ironically enough I don't see anything wrong with my partner but I can see elements of my parents starting to crop up in myself and that's the element of my parental relationship that I feel is now starting to bear weight on my current relationship with my my wife which is like things that my dad has done as he gotten older that I'm really nervous about falling into, like, you know, um, being such a creature of habit. And this is the thing with my dad is like um, being such a creature of habit that you get nervous to do anything different. um, You know, uh, not taking care of myself properly, all that sort of thing. But, you Mm -hmm. know, that's, that's wildly different than like, it does it doesn't really play into the dynamic of the relationships that I have with my partner at the moment.
0: Yeah there's some um, there's always i don't want to say always but there is often an aspect of overfunctioning and underfunctioning and the interplay of that is like when some people get stressed they do everything they can to fix the situation and when other people get stressed they kind of like fall off and like dissociate a little bit and mm-hmm. those people tend to pair together because they're a really good like they keep each other in check right um usually what happens is like the person who overdoes everything has to relax so that the person who underfunctions can have space to like do their own stuff have their own journey take responsibility for whatever they need to take responsibility for and yeah I'm
1: definitely uh, the underfunctioner in our relationship it's
0: that's usually the man certainly. i i don't know why i don't know if that's like a societal thing um we like, this kind of gets into masculinity culture stuff, but I think that we infantilize men a little bit. Um, We don't give men enough, like, autonomy really. And you see it in, like, old-fashioned mothers who, they're, like, they shower all this affection on their sons and then they'll be really hard on their daughters and, like, they'll give their sons no responsibility and then they'll give their daughters, like, their daughter has to, like, take care of everything. Um, And so there's, like, we have a little bit of belief that like, oh, men are just like incapable. And so I think that that leaks into whatever relationship dynamics we have. And as women, I think our, like, our role in that is just to relax and give space and then communicate of just like, hey, I feel like you're not kind of coming through on this. Do you think that you can like work on that? And then like your growth is to like, yeah, I really hear you. I want to work on that, you know? And it just sounds like, Yours is kind of like on a micro level. There are like relationships in which this is happening in huge ways. Um, and I don't know, that's a, that plays into a lot of like my insecurity in relationships is like a person's not responding to me. I can't get them to do anything. Like they're, they're not doing anything. They're being like um, unresponsive or, or like lazy. And um, this just doesn't just show up romantically for me. Like it shows up in friendships, et cetera. Um, and it it always depends on the person, um, but fundamentally, like I'm always anxious that people are not going to come through for me, that I have to control way more than I actually need to. Like I have a hard time giving people space to be themselves and um, yeah, it's tough because the way that I've dealt with that a lot of my life is to pretend like I don't care. So to just like, oh, it's fine. I don't care about anybody. I don't, I don't care about this relationship, like whatever. Um, and that's not true either. Um, and so when I come in and I say, well, actually, I do care, right? I do want to have intimacy, then that anxiety comes up again. And I'm like, no, but now I have to control what they do because I do care. And now it's like, um, there's a reason that it feels so threatening. Um, mm-hmm. because it kind of comes from that place of complete powerlessness of a child of like, I'm being abandoned and I'm I'm powerless over it. And um, I heard a very articulate therapist say one time, if you want to know if you're acting out in trauma, just check in with how small you feel. Do you feel like a child, like a powerless child in the situation? Um, it's probably coming from a childhood influence.
1: Yeah. I mean, there was a TikTok a while ago just in terms of like the underfunctioning, overfunctioning, and the mental load thing, and and the gender norms that have been perpetrated for—I mean, we are coming out of a century where I like—I even remember infomercials where they would show like—I remember this one in particular where a dad was like cooking spaghetti sauce and it was like the special cooking night of dad. So first of all, <laughs> intimating that mom—it's normally mom's job to cook, yeah—but then showing the dad like cook really messily and like put his like spaghetti, uh, you know. Uh, stir on the on the counter and all the spaghetti sauce everywhere and then of course the it's the mom's job to clean it up and she sort of smiles and sort of says oh you and then does it like even that and this was like 20 years ago
0: and it's like communicating like dad's stupid like like how it like unkind is that to the to the man's part in that
1: Yeah, yeah it's like he's incapable first of all he can't cook it's basically intimating he no longer he can't cook, but he doesn't even understand the very basics of like keeping a tidy kitchen, you know? Like it's really so like so that was a standard. And yeah, I think to some extent it definitely infantilized men for sure. Um but you know, I think there's a lot of men who took who just who were happy to accept that role because they saw, you know, I'm uh I work all day and and of course now they're not the only ones in the household working so it's been an interesting dynamic Because so we have to do get you, out of this like yeah
0: do you think men take advantage of being infantilized they're like oh yeah i really am incapable do you think they rest in
1: that i think some do yeah absolutely i think uh you know if you're a natural underfunctioner anyway i think one thing that really men will do and i'm and this, this is something i'm guilty of which is probably we're going to speak authoritatively on it which is <laughs> the classic thing of like um you know, well, you have a higher standard than I do for cleanliness, which even might be objectively true. And then using that as an excuse to tap out of the process entirely. So whether or not that's like a regular clean or whether that's like keeping the laundry forward, like there's this, a lot of men will say, you know, I'm not, I'm, this is not a generative heteronormative role that I'm projecting here. I'm simply saying that my threshold for Um, disorder is higher than yours and it takes a lot more mental work for me Mm. to like care more but you know what I mean it's like this kind of like you know abusing (laughs) abusing therapeutic language to sort of to sort of get out of taking responsibility for your fair share of the housework for example
0: I think you're totally right about that and it's funny because um, people get on me on TikTok about like Oh, you must be a really shitty roommate to live with. I'm like, like, I know more about relationship dynamics than most people because I live with six people. Um, And I am dealing with conflict on a daily for all kinds of different things. So I have to have super capability in this area. So what you're talking about is like, that's a real conversation that you have with somebody. And it's based in lots of authenticity of just like, my standard of cleanliness is very different than yours. That's not yeah. where the, where it ends. The next thing is, um, can you just please tell me, like, what are the things that are different about our cleaning up styles? Like, what do you need the laundry room to look like? Um, what do you need the bathroom to look like? How often should we clean our bathroom? Um, whose job is that? Should we like trade off? Are there chores that you really like to do that um, maybe I hate? and vice versa and how can we like team up on this so there's like um I'm taking responsibility for like not having cleanliness standards that you have and I'm taking responsibility for like fixing that problem together
1: yeah and you know it's hard because like I think this is where you get this is the real nitty-gritty of it right (laughs) like this is because ultimately when you're in a relationship for as long as I've been for example then like the the stuff that you think is like not worth talking about actually becomes the most important stuff, which is like, you know, well, it's true though. Like, you know, like it's like the classic Tina Turner song, you know, what's love got to do with it? Well, there's a a point where like the love is just assumed and it's there. And what starts to chip away at it is like the stuff that you deem. Yeah. The socks, the socks on the floor or, you know, keeping track of kids appointments. And as you say, like, how often do you clean the bathroom and those things, you know, those things are our, our lives. That's what living is, you know, we can dismiss that stuff. But that is a huge aspect of like, what it means to live with a person and what it means to live in general. So you can't dismiss those things out of hand. Um
0: I'll share this just for the listeners, Um, whoever this is useful for. I had a, a boyfriend, Um we were both very conflict avoidant with each other. So once a week, we would sit down and just say like, hey, what are the things that came up this week that are like the tiniest little things that I didn't even bring up because they were so stupid, like they weren't a big deal. But like, what are those things? Um, Little things that are just like a little thorn in your side, like anything at all that came up could that could turn into anything. And we would just talk about little things just like, oh, the bike in the doorway or like, can we hang the bike up? And there was always a ton on that list. And we would just like like, unload that file, like they would pile up every week, and we would just unload it. And then we would, anytime something became a bigger issue, it was always like, oh, yeah, I mentioned that a few weeks ago, it was a tiny, tiny little grain of sand then, and then it became this bigger issue. And now you know about it. So now it's like, there's a basis for talking about it.
1: Yeah, that's very organized. I don't know if they can be that organized. That's cool. But I mean, <laughs> the, the, what, what I was going to actually mention, speaking of like, or being organized is like, sometimes I think the way that, you know, Um, And I think it's true, like, I don't want to say all men, but some men, maybe I'm in this category as well, but um, I think appreciate having like systems, you know what I mean, like we're very much like, show me a list of like, if I know, for example, we agree to a system where the bathroom must be cleaned, say, every Friday or something like that, or by every Monday of the week or something. And, um, you know, we agree that the way that laundry is going to be done, we're going to do at least a load a day, right? One load a day, which if you're in a house with like, you know, two adults and two kids, that's actually, that's realistic, um, at least in my house, it, it seems to be. Um, and then like, you know, you can, and then you just have a, you have a system set up and then there's like a conversation you have to say, you know, I feel like I would be more comfortable in that rubric, but like, that is like, takes a lot of work to not only set up but you there has to be buy-in and that's the problem mm-hmm. is like it's very much for easy for me to buy into a system but expecting your partner to mm-hmm. that's always that's not always going to work so i think a lot of this stuff comes up just because there's not there's not always a, and i think that's why there's like some really successful book that came out i actually bought a copy of that i can't remember that everyone is recommending me to get about mm-hmm. sharing housework um hmm. uh there's as a motive Anyway, I can't remember what it's in the other room. I'm not going to go up and get it, but um, but I think it's I think the book sort of talks about a lot of that stuff. Is like as long like if you in absence of actually discussing how the like the the how and why of this stuff happening, you're just going to fall into these defaults and you're going to have the same argument over and over and over again for years, you know?
0: Yeah, there is a lot of intentionality and planning that has to go into having like a functional cohabitation with someone. And I don't think we talk about that we have kind of like, so we talked about lazy um, deism and lazy materialism, I would call this um, lazy independence or lazy autonomy so just defaulting to independence at all costs and not putting any thought into how do I collaborate with my community. Um, and we've really set up our society in which everybody can just make their own individual decisions and have financial autonomy and just like fuck everybody else I'm just in competition with everybody else now terrible way to organize a society uh waste of resources waste of money like exhausting just like all kinds of problems with that and so when you try to cohabitate with someone you're running into that lazy autonomy problem is like there's no intentionality put into this actual um system of like our life and it's it's a lot like running a business um there's a lot of like organization to it that's really healthy and um has nothing to do with capitalism it just has to do with like organizational skills and i'm really arranging that for myself um mentally like i have a lot of cognitive dissonance against like spreadsheets and business plans and like taxes and all kinds of bullshit that has to do with capitalism Um, On the other side of that, there's like a very good part of making plans, making lists, having um, schedules. That's like a healthy part of life and
1: useful
0: for anything that you're creating. Um, That's why we call these intentional communities. It takes a ton of intentional um, intentionality to create community. So like I live, with a bunch of people and if we just did lazy autonomy in one to two weeks, um, we would just all be roommates that were angry at each other because they were making noise. We um, intentionally have dinner together. We intentionally watch movies together. We intentionally spend time and become emotionally vulnerable with each other. Not because it is easy or what we necessarily want to do at that moment. It's because we are trying to create community. Um, and it's a very different way of living it's not just like having a bunch of roommates so that's kind of getting into relationships that are platonic but i think they're very resonant and important here because you're talking about the same thing you're like i'm it is the same thing it's a home situation with another person
1: yeah uh and that sounds unromantic but that's just the fact like i i could i i will tell i guarantee you talk to any any parent you know, and a couple with, with children in a relationship and that stuff absolutely matters. And I know, you know, friends of mine, I feel like are more successful at dealing with it than I am because, you know, a friend of mine, what he's done, he set up a, a a Slack group and, and and with his wife and they just had this whole thing of categories of like stuff. Seriously. So they have like vacations on there, like cleaning schedule, kids stuff. And it, I, and it sounds, it sounds anal it sounds crazy i i could never set that up yeah. that that's just like not not it that's too organized but the reason he does it is to avoid what i think is a pitfall for a lot of people in relationships which is like the first thing that you talk about when you wake up in the morning over your morning coffee is like the logistics of how you're going to get through the day as opposed to like you know talking about movies or just joking around or you know what i mean so i think I think if that, if that is like a big enough issue for you in, in your relationship, it's absolutely worth, as you say, avoiding lazy autonomy and, and being way more intentional about how you're going to relate to a person, you know? So I, I think that's healthy. I think for a, a number of reasons, that's not something that I could embrace in my current relationship, but um, we get through it just by, we talk. we just talk it through. I think that's the other thing too, is that my wife and I are huge talkers, huge hmm. talkers.
0: I'm not surprised.
1: Yeah, and we have a massive text. The other thing that apparently I discovered—I thought all couples do this—but apparently, my wife and I are unique, at least among our age group, is that we have this like enormously long-running text back and forth. Even though if we're the same house, we're in the house together at the same time, we'll be texting each other this or that because. But it it sounds cute, but it's actually really it's super useful for organizational purposes because uh if she sends me a link for something i need to buy for the kids or she sends me a list of things we need to think about getting at this time or she sends me a date where we're supposed to i can just search it all it's like it's just like a database of yeah. everything so it does serve a practical purpose as well uh but yeah there's also like it's also like mixed in with like stuff she, she finds links on twitter that are interesting and and vice versa um or you know articles that she thinks are interesting or whatever so um, so I think something like that, where you, there's just like a repository or something concrete, um, you know, so that you you not one person is constantly carrying around this mental load um, is, is important. And I think in absence of that, you will you're actually going to run into trouble really early on because yeah, there's a lot, man. It's like, yeah, it's like running a ship. It's crazy. It's crazy.
0: Well, you reminded me of something that is, that I see in stable relationships, like an aspect of stable relationships that I don't see in insecure or unstable relationships, which is there is a basis of um, admiration For the other person, admiration is not quite the right word. It also Mm. is an A word. Um, There's five A's of relationships by um, an author that I really like. It's one of the A's. Um, But it's like admiration. It's basically an unconditional respect and um, seeing the person in a positive light. And you lean on that during the times that you're having difficulty with that person, that you're frustrated with that person, or you're in conflict with that person. And it's unique, I think, to, um, uh, well, you can have it in a platonic way, but I see it more in romantic relationships. Um, The way that we interact with someone has so much to do with how we construe them as a person. Um, Do we believe this is a good person with positive intentions? Do we like this person? Mm -hmm. Um, And then whatever they do, we're going to construe as a part of who they are. And the same thing happens when we hate somebody, when we construe somebody very negatively, we think they're a dishonest person or they're manipulative, etc. Whatever they do, we're going to attribute that to the perceived negativity or positivity that we have about them. Um, And that can come in when you stay in a relationship with someone who you don't construe very positively. And I only see insecure people do this, stay in relationships with people who they have a lot of negativity about internally. Like they think this person is kind of a liar or kind of a manipulator or kind of a mean person in general. So when they don't answer a text, they're going to go, this person is being intentionally negative or intentionally mean to me by not answering this text and juxtapose that with someone that you construe very positively oh they didn't answer the text they must be busy oh they meant to get back to me and they just didn't get back to me Um, and you really lean on those positive views of other people when you're in conflict or when you're trying to work with someone because if they fall through you can fall back on like, oh, well, I still believe that they had the best intentions in mind. And so I can still feel safe with them. Does that make sense? Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. Like I. Yeah, I mean, I I, I don't know how you could be with someone you did not respect, you know what I mean? And I know that there well, are relationships. Yeah
0: that's also like whatever is inside of you that is the magic stuff that made you be able to connect with another human being because that has not been my pattern. Um, As recently as like 18 months ago, I was in a relationship with someone who I construed very negatively and saw a lot of negative qualities in. And whenever they wouldn't come through to me, uh, come through for me, I would be like, well, this is just a bad person. right?" And I continued to be in a relationship with them. And you go, God, how did you like acquire that pattern? I'm like, I don't freaking know where that came from. I got to do research, you know?
1: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think, I mean, based in terms of people I've known, you know, sometimes it's, 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 it's not, it's not even necessarily because it's like a pattern. It's because sometimes you start a relationship with someone and, um, things go really well and then something changes and then a the dynamic changes. And then, it's very difficult because you've invested a lot of time and belief. And, you know, I, we live in a society now where it's like, you know, if you go on Reddit and it's like, you ask any relationship advice they're like divorce immediately, get out of yeah. that relationship. And, um, but, but the corollary of that is, I think there's still a lot of people who do suffer from, you know, sunk cost fallacy, not to be crass about it, but you know, if you've been with someone for two years And they clearly deteriorated in terms of like your view of them and your respect for them but there's a sense that i've been with this person this long um i owe it to them to to see if i can like redeem this somehow so i I think i think people just need to be kinder to themselves in these situations
0: yes absolutely um i also think that the fundamental difference between um you and me or like somebody who's more stable in relationships and someone who's more insecure is the lack of self-trust, the lack of self-esteem to say, um, I will find someone who is out there for me, who will be kind to me. And I don't need to stay in this situation that's bad for me. If you have a lot of insecurity, you'll stay in that situation a lot longer because you'll believe that there's nothing better for you out there. Um, yeah. There's also um, like this ignoring the red flags early on so like that particular partner I saw all the red flags maybe I didn't know them intimately yet and I got to know exactly what they were and what they were about Um, but I saw them early on and I did that limerence thing which is you create love where there is no love you create a fantasy where there is no love because fundamentally when you were growing up you um, needed to create love where there was none because you, were not, you weren't you being properly loved. And you lean yeah. on that throughout your life. You project love onto people that are not doing it because you really want to feel love in that moment. Um, but it's a fantasy land. And that fantasy land has gotten me in trouble a lot. And so a lot of the work that I'm doing now is like, how do I see this person as a person? How do I not become obsessed with them? How do I like see what they're actually doing in real time versus what I think they're doing and the relationship that I want to exist?
1: Yeah, the red flags thing is really interesting because that was obviously not a thing that existed. Um, I mean, there you you know. Uh,
0: you mean the the concept of red flags? Yeah, just like yeah.
1: but I, I'm but it's fascinating to me because I'm really you know, and again, it's like. I hate this because it's like a little halo goes over your head like I'm so good but like I am really shocked when I see some of these TikToks and then some of the the ways that like what I'm just like what is wrong with a lot of men it's like what I feel like what has happened to so many men that that exhibit certain types of behaviors and it's really depressing to me I guess that um I think maybe yeah
0: like I think it's just men aren't trying very hard and they're kind of like disengaged about relationships they've been for a long time notice like women are like experts on relationships and men are like I don't know they seem good they seem like they're working fine like they're not they're not noticing very much and then yeah. there are these like women who have a lot of relationship trauma and a lot of insecurity and they will just latch on to broken people people who can be a project for them right and Mm -hmm. they love alcoholics and they love like people who just aren't doing that well they're kind of like failing to thrive um they're like i'm gonna fix this person so that i don't have to look at my own stuff this is a great project like that's what their unconscious is is doing and then two years later three years later the woman is just like I'm so aggravated, like nobody comes through for me, right? And it's all projection. Like they projected it all onto this person who like wasn't functioning as a person from the very beginning. I think mm-hmm. a lot of men are in that space and a lot of women are in the space of like really needing love, really needing affirmation and looking for it in all the wrong places. They should be looking for it in themselves rather than getting into relationship.
1: Yeah. Well, with the men, at least, it seems like a huge problem like, if I think about it, it seems a lot of stuff that's just general um, immaturity, right? Um, uh, I hate that word, actually. Not immaturity, but I think, like, coming back to what you said, like, this, I think we do infantilize men. And there's certain men who I think are infantilized in their own families sometimes. They have a particular type of mother mm-hmm. who's like, mm-hmm. you can do no wrong. There are some mothers who are like that. And I think that's one of the negative things of the helicopter parents is like there's a sense that um because women are or certain certain mothers are like i don't think this happens as much anymore but there was like a time for like maybe a few decades where like parents were taught to like basically go to war for their children at all times and mm-hmm. if you're going to war for someone you're probably going to overlook their pretty significant faults you know so like there's so i wonder if that might have something to do with like the rise because it's like it's stuff it gets, sometimes it's like it you see what the red flags are in relationship and it's just like a reflection of men can't even take care of themselves in some Mm -hmm. ways um or don't um don't have an outlet to process their emotions in like a healthy normal way well that was the Um, other thing
0: i was going to say is men are strangers to intimacy they're strangers kind of to physical intimacy emotional intimacy i think men are starved for intimacy and they, um, they really want, like, closeness. And a lot of the times, the only way they're allowed to get it is through romantic um, engagement. And they're not yeah, always prepared man. for the baggage that comes with romantic engagement. So what are they supposed to do? Are they supposed to just, like, sleep around with women? Um, a lot of men, like, use women for that, which is kind of gross. Um, but I think we need better ways for men to be able to be... Um, oh, you and I both commented on this video where it was a trans man crying about um, how lonely it was to be a man and how they remembered. That was
1: really sad.
0: Yeah. And it was Um, like, masculinity is very lonely.
1: Yeah. Like uh, that that video was so striking. So, so striking because, um, you know, I, again, coming back to what I said before, I feel like I benefited from very healthy, male friendships growing up Um, but even that even that I feel pales in comparison to like and it's just funny like seeing my wife now with her friends and and seeing the level of intimacy that they have with each other like my one of my wife's friends lives you know two provinces away and they still call each other every single day whereas like if I call my friends my best friends who I've known since I was like less than eight years old if I call them out of the blue to just talk they'd be like what like that, that's like an alien concept among a lot of male friends that I know so so even that is like pretty striking so I think you're right I think there is like you know especially if you're brought up into a house where not only are men in these aloof friendships but you're also now being shamed from within your family for like crying or you know expressing an, a non-masculine emotion, whatever that's supposed to be. Um, and so, yeah. And so this is like this weird situation where you're brought up in this environment and then you're expected when you, you know, you start dating women to suddenly understand how to like care for a person's emotional needs or be intimate with them and be responsive and receptive to them or be empathetic with them. It's like, you've taught them no skills how to do that. And then magically because of, yeah.
0: Not only that, but we've taught them opposite. So yeah. brought them up in like um all you gotta do is provide and work and like be a man and be masculine and like push your feelings down and not have like very like much intimacy with anybody and like that's gonna make you a man and then flip it out flip it completely over now you're an adult And you have to be in a romantic relationship with someone where you're required to be like vulnerable and required to have a completely different skill set in some ways. Um, And I think think at the end of the day, masculinity like kind of suffers and like that's a whole other um, episode. I apparently have a lot to say about that. Um, (laughs) But uh, I see it in even people who are just Identifying with the masculine. So I have um, a good friend who is a lesbian who dates mostly non-binary people and sort of like more masculine women who still identify as women. And they are often toxic um, more than you find in women. And so I think it is in general, the idea that we have about masculinity um, that needs some, some like workshopping. Um, and like, nothing about masculinity is like controlling like it's more about leadership and structure and logic like the masculine is the logic and the feminine is the intuitive and they just go together and they're just like a dance um yeah and they live in in all people which is like ranges a little bit into spirituality but um at the end of the day relationships, I I see relationships as a mirror for whatever we're working with internally. Our um, relationships are a mirror for the way that we feel about ourselves, the way that we interact with ourselves. And um, that's really good news, because if you have relationship difficulty, um, there is a lot of it that you can address by just like working on your self-esteem, your self-identity, listening to yourself. And then bringing that to other people and you can tell whether or not they're treating you well and then you can go oh okay well this is just not a good person oh my gosh that makes so much sense finally i was able to identify that um and i'm also not one of these people that believes that like all of relationship interplay is the self-healing like the individual healing process Um, Because there are some things that we'll never get at unless we do like interplays. I'm still working on my anxiety with people not responding to me. Like I have become such a passive person in my life because I'm so afraid to like reach out to someone and then they never respond. And I just have anxiety in my body. And like, it comes up between you and me. Like when I email you and you didn't respond to my email and then I'm like, Hey, did you respond to my email? And like (laughs) internally, like I feel let down and I'm like, no, don't put that on him. Like, it's not his fault. It's like your fault. Right. But like, it's like very insecure
1: right? No, I'm a, I'm a chronic, uh, bad responder on all, all. So it's, it's, it's not you, it's me.
0: (laughs) And again, like it is just you being a person in the world that has nothing to do with me. And then my insecurity is playing off of that. Right. And so in a way I'm using you to see me, right. Mm. How I feel about the world, right. Which is, anxious, insecure, not self-confident. And then if I'm not in a good place, I'll put that on you. Why didn't you answer my email? Right. It's not about you. It's about me and how I deal with the world. And so um, I'm still working through that stuff. I've gotten to the place where I don't blame other people for not responding to me. And most of the way that I deal with that is just like, hey, just following up on this hey, just getting back to you, like actually putting myself out there and being like more of a squeaky wheel uh, because often I'll just like dissolve into nothingness. Like, okay, they didn't respond. I'll just go away. Um, yeah. And that's not functional either because you can't get anything done if someone hasn't responded to you. Maybe they didn't even get your email you're like, hey, did you get my email? Like you have to be a little bit um, outgoing in that way, but.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's funny. Like I, I, I don't have, like, I don't even... I couldn't even articulate what my relationship hang-ups would be, even with my my friends, you know what I mean? Like I couldn't and I, I sounds you know, like, as
0: it sounds like you I, avoid conflict.
1: Yeah, I definitely avoid conflict. That's like a big one. I am uh yeah, that's like pretty much the defining aspect of all my relationships, whether they're professional or or platonic or romantic, you know what I mean? So I would say that's probably a big one. But just in terms of like I just wonder. Because I just find the idea of like, before being in a relationship, being super deliberate about thinking about your relationship dynamics is so interesting to me because I had such a different, I have this thing where I feel like I have a North Star, right? Like I have this like internal compass that I trust with my entire being, you know what I mean? Where I feel like, um, and I think that's what I what I had with my, part, my current partner is like, I, I remember this very solid trusting this feeling of comfort and at being at home, you know what I mean? So there was not an intellectual process happening there at all. It was just a feeling of like for whatever magical reason, the person this person is a person that I um feel very comfortable and at myself with. And I feel like maybe for some people it's like they don't trust that compass enough or that compass is absent entirely, in which case I don't I don't know how you you'd be able to function normally in, in 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 healthy relationships but well I like yeah
0: i i think that's really beautiful and i'm going to try that out um contra tenor relationship expert i'm going to look for someone who feels like home i will say i have felt like that about one person romantically and that relationship ended so abruptly that my experience of that was like you can feel so at home with someone and so safe and then the bottom will fall out
1: and I yeah, don't... I mean yeah there's no safety right like you're absolutely and, right like and yeah. I have
0: never chosen someone who feels like home ever since yeah. which has to do with intimacy issues I won't let anybody get close enough to feel like home so that's a yeah. whole other thing
1: yeah and see again this is where I feel like I'm ruined in some sense for offering reasonable advice on the subject because you're like, my I shoes just, are tied yeah my shoes are tied I mean they were tied like almost 20 years ago and so like I just feel like I feel really empathetic. Like, honestly, I'm not, this sounds patronizing or condescending, but I actually do feel really empathetic for people who are just going through this shit constantly with, you know, like I, I could not imagine being in a, you know, a dating app world, as opposed to like the world that I grew up in, which is like, you get drunk and you make a pass at someone and they either say yes or no. And that was basically, the that was the dating app world that I grew up in. So, you know, um even even the mode of these apps forces people to think super deliberately about dating and relationships whereas like i think none of that existed there was no template like i grew up in a generation where nobody went on dates and this might just be a canadian thing but the idea of dating <laughs> people was not a thing in high school mm-hmm. and or or in university um and there were certainly no apps so there was no like relationships just seemed to happen by accident by a miracle who who knows but now of course people don't think about it that way they're like they're we live Intentable. in a society where you can be super intentional about picking and choosing relationships but there's also a feeling of like uh abundance that you know if and i think that's a problem too is like you know like i think people are willing to nitpick their relationships in a way that they maybe weren't willing to 20 years ago because now if you're if something bugs you you know we used to make fun of seinfeld because they would show the characters going through an endless pool of dates and they would stop dating people for, but now it's like everyone is a little bit like that because, you know, well, if I don't like my current partner because they eat peas with a fork or something, um, you know, you can just, you can just go on the apps and maybe there's someone out there who's better, you know what I mean? And so I think there's, I just think it's getting in healthy relationships now is so much more difficult. So, so, so much more difficult um, than it was, you know, even 20 years ago. Um, So, so that's why I feel it's really, it's, I have to be really careful if I'm going to jump in the arena and say, oh, you should be like this or you should try this because I think some of the modes of being with, I think some people don't even have the opportunities that I had to even know if you felt comfortable with someone, you know what I mean? Before you actually started dating them. So
0: yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Some people get into, the rela- into relationships for the wrong reasons and then just stay with that person for 40 years because of loyalty because um,
1: there's a feeling that oh well no one else is going to want to go out with me or or you know, i'm just and...
0: supposed to do marriage like i think people literally just live by like this is my religion i'm supposed to stay married you yeah. know
1: and the whole marriage thing is also i mean we're allowed to talk about this is about relationships marriages relationships um but like the whole thing about um going both ways right so like some people have this like they put the ideal of marriage on this insane pedestal, pedestal that they'll never get there. But on the the, the the flip side of that, people also lie to themselves about really bad relationships that they're in by saying, you know, nobody's perfect. No one, you know, there's no such thing as a perfect partner. And they use that as an excuse to marry. And it's like, there's, there's no, there's no like clear guide. You don't know, you know, like, and you're absolutely right. Like, as you say, I was lucky and that I was with someone who I felt at home with, but we actually ended up feeling the same way about each other and we trust each other. And there was, there's a lot of things that went right. um, That could have gone South. Right. I think in many,
0: in many ways you had a Gen X upbringing, um, but you've had a very millennial marriage. And what I, what I hear about millennials is that we have a much lower divorce rate. Um, We actually do pretty well in commitment, believe it or not.
1: So why is that? right I want to know what what is it about this generation I think it's our astrology oh okay (laughs) (laughs) I
0: think it's I think it's um Pluto and Pluto and Capricorn um right it's a no it's a very organized energy but um it'll be interesting to see what Gen Z does because I think they have the combination of like a lot of good identity work has been done like people are allowed to be gay people are allowed to be like whatever relationship orientation they need to be people don't jump into marriages too quickly um there's all kinds of like intentionality of around relationships however um gen zers are a little bit more um like i don't know if artistic is the word but like out like kind of out there. Where millennials are more like I'm seeking security. I would like to own a home. I would like to have like some commitment and some like long-standing stability in my life. Uh Gen Z, they're more like um the revolutionaries. They're mm. more disorganized. They're more like let's blow stuff up. Um so I'm really curious to see like as a generation the way that we see their marriages and stuff. And also I think that we have, like, a misguided view of um, relationship styles, like, that they're always going more radical. Like, mm. oh, we're we're doing more weird stuff now with relationships. I think they go into periods of lots of sameness and then lots of radicalness and then lots of sameness and then lots of radicalness. We do the same thing economically. We were talking about this when we were talking about conspiracy theories. Um, that I are- wonder
1: if it's... I'm sorry. I I was just going to say, I wonder if it's um, I wonder if it's just because with millennials, I'm now claiming myself as a millennial. See, I can swing back and forth. You get to swing back and forth. You got two
0: demographics. Yeah.
1: But I wonder if it's uh, literally because um, no one talked about relationships at all. Like that was not a thing. Right. Um, in, In the same way that we talk about them now. Um, so so I don't need to rehash all that territory. I sort of talked about why. But basically, you know, like I said, there was um it was just wasn't on our minds. You know what I mean? It wasn't really like a thing that people aspired to. There was no really real concern. Um, there was no like defining what a re- like what a good relationship was and a bad relationship. Like none of that there's nothing in the air. So I think things happen a lot more organically for that reason. So that's one thing. And I think I agree with you. I think. I think Gen Z will like, um, I think there'll be the I think they'll they, they'll have the same take it or leave it or post relationships. But I think the intentionality of the relationships before they enter them is much more intense. And not just in terms of like making sure that you're with the right person, but exactly as you say, like how do I define my relationship with this person? Am I polyamorous? Um, is this about having children? Is this about, um, respecting my bisexuality or, or you know what i mean or or you know if you're if you're a lesbian like is this about being with someone who identifies as more femme or wear a mask and like all this sort of like i think these dynamics are much more fluid and interesting and intellectually constructed than they were for you know earlier early millennials i'll say also uh, I, I
0: i just have to insert here before i forget it yeah yeah there is this aspect of like we need to have conformity in order to have stability and the more individuality that we allow we are introducing instability into marriages into um, overall structure my experience accepting myself as a non-monogamous person to say hey i may never find a husband and have kids with that monogamous husband how do I go on and build a life out of that, right? Do I just consider myself a failure at all times because that doesn't work for me because I apparently need too much autonomy and flexibility. Um, And what it's done for me being able to accept that is like, wow, this works way better for me. I'm so much happier. I am able to build love in my life and have functional relationships out of this that feel fulfilling, that allow me to get my life done as a human being that don't make it so I'm just like constantly ashamed, constantly feeling like things aren't working. And really stuffing myself into a, um, as a square peg into a round hole, right?
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Um, And so I think the allowance for more individuality and more differences is actually creating more stability in people's lives and their relationships.
1: Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think the next step, someone needs to revolutionize the institution of divorce. Mm. Because I think a big thing is like, if you really think about why people are reticent about getting married, it's because of Same fear course. of divorce. Right. And I think it's fear, especially now in our generation where finances are so much more of a concern than they were, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Um, I think what needs to happen is some, some pioneer needs to create the painless financially painless divorce. You know, they need to re-examine that institution, um, And maybe that's like redefining marriage so that the commitment isn't as legally binding or I don't know. So Some some legal scholar needs to take this on.
0: There are all kinds of good reasons to have marriages. I just don't think that they should be related to romantic relationship at all. I think like there are all kinds of reasons why I have an intimate trusting relationship with a friend who needs health insurance, for example, or who might like to have my pension when I pass away who I would trust to have that pension and that's not re- related to romance at all to me what that says is we need to redefine the nuclear family a bit um yeah but also yeah the reason that I will never get married is because um I don't want to deal with the legal implications of divorce
1: yeah I think you're I honestly think nobody not nobody I think not enough people talk about it because that's really the reason like if you see in all these shows it's like it's always it's always posed as a fear of commitment um but that's not that's not what it is it's the fear of like you end up having children with someone you have shared accounts you live in a house together and then you get divorced and suddenly you're out on your own and you have to pay alimony and like you know what I mean like those are real fears like I often joke with my wife. like I can't get we can't get divorced because I'm not adult enough for that. And I, I mean, meaning that like I'm already sort of childlike enough in my life that it's I'm barely hanging on to my finances as they are. So the idea of like having to like think about adult things like, you know, uh, custody and like you know all that stuff It's like that that stuff makes me ill because like that's just runs counter to everything that I am as a person. And it um, can so I think, yeah. it
0: can foster and bolster um emotional growth because you're like, okay, I'm kind of stuck with something. I'm gonna stay here and work it out. Like that's that can be a good influence. It can get real negative and toxic if you're staying with something that's really that really is bad for you.
1: I was gonna say it's like we we talked about capitalism coercion, you know, a few mm-hmm. podcasts ago. And that's like, well that's another, I mean you know, the 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 legal messiness and the financial messiness of divorce is also a form of coercion of like people in bad relationships. Right. So uh, I think just, I think yeah. the,
0: I think the state does have a, a vested interest in people getting married and a vested interest in them not being able to get out of it. I think there is a coercive aspect to it. It always has felt like a trap to me, um, yeah. but cool. having kids feels like a trap to me, too. And to some people, marriage and having kids feels like the greatest life purpose there ever was. And um, so it's like not for everybody. But at this point in my life, I'm like, wow, I'm so glad that I have not had kids and not gotten married because it wasn't the right thing for me. And um, but there are some people who love it. And it's funny. There was a post about the nuclear family this last week and so many people saying like, I love my nuclear family. This is all I need. Who needs community? Like that's stupid. And (laughs) then other people like, oh my God, community is the only thing and nobody is right. Just everybody needs a different thing. And, um, sort of the last thing that I want to say to you as I'm getting tired, um, (laughs) is I hear a lot of, um, like almost you putting yourself down or feeling bad about the fact that you haven't owned a home and haven't like reached adult financial potential. And I just want to say, like, I think all of that is bullshit. And it's based (laughs) on an old, an old fashioned, like you have a retirement, you have a, um, you know, a house and then you retire from the Ford factory and go on a cruise. And like, it's just a very boomer way of seeing things. Um, I also don't think we're very happy in retirement, which is a whole other thing. I think the happiest and longest lived people are people who kind of work their whole lives to some degree in a way that doesn't kill them, but is sustainable. Um, So I just think all that stuff that you're sort of down or you seem down about is kind of bullshit. And it would be like better to say like, um, this is what has worked best for me. And along the way, I have made very intentional choices about what is more important
1: yeah i wish i could be like that but then i would be <laughs> like i would be telling a lie uh because you're right i mean at some point i had i don't know if you've ever read the apprenticeship of daddy kravitz but there's a line in the book where it says you know you're you know you, to, to be a man you have to own a piece of land right or to be a full 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 adult and i something about that ethos which i don't intellectually agree with but is clearly like sowed its seed in my psyche somewhere um you know and it's weird. the 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 interesting thing, I know, I know you're tired. I'll just end on this point. The interesting thing is, my parents never owned a home ever. My my parents were both clergy, so they had homes. So I don't even know. Maybe that's what it was like, feeling like I needed to, to
0: transcend what you transcend your parents my parents
1: was. and my generation, and and so maybe that's what it is. But that's a topic for another podcast.
0: Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I owned a home and I'm like, wanted to get out of it almost immediately, but that happens to me. Like, I don't like any commitments. So I'm working on that. Um, Yeah. Yes. So um, if you want to support the podcast, you can find us on Patreon, um, Patreon rather, um, Window Gazing Podcast. It's also linked in the show notes. I am still working on the Window Gazing Podcast website. I think eventually we will have merch. Uh, Also, eventually we are going to have guests on. And I think after this third episode would be a great time to introduce guests. So we will be talking about that later. I know we already have some um, ideas as far as who is we want to um, invite on. But thank you all for listening and we will see you next time.